As you're being seated, uh, find your Bibles, and I want you to look to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. In the upper room, there are two vivid illustrations of what Christianity is all about. The first was given to us by Jesus whenever he instigated the Lord's Supper. He takes the bread and he breaks it and he says, this is my body which is broken for you. And then he passes the wine cup and he says, drink, this is my blood which is shed for you. And so we have the the bringing together symbolically of our sin which Christ paid for on the cross and the new life that we have through the blood of Christ uh, through the, in, the, in the wine. But you also have another illustration there in the upper room, a more subtle one that is also quite powerful. It's Judas and Peter. Both Judas and Peter find themselves in the grip of pride. Both of them find themselves wrestling with apathy. Both of them wind up denying Jesus and betraying him. For Judas, his betrayal would ultimately lead to his death. For Peter, his betrayal would ultimately end in grace, as he found the redemption of God and the forgiveness of God. It's a brisk evening in Jerusalem. Throughout the city, many families are fast asleep. They have journeyed to the holy city of Jerusalem for the Passover feast. It was hard to get the children to bed that night because they were excited. This was about the biggest holiday in the course of the year. And so everybody's looking forward and we're seeing people we haven't seen for a long time. But now darkness has fallen and people are fast asleep. At the temple, the maintenance crew is busy. They are polishing the floors, making sure that everything is in good shape. The fixtures are all being put exactly the where they're supposed to be because great crowds are going to be at the temple this week. This is a big week. Everything needs to be exactly how it's supposed to be. Over at Fort Antonia, the Roman soldiers are repairing their whips and they are sharpening their nails as they prepare for the next morning's work. Meanwhile, beneath them in the dungeon... Three prisoners struggle that evening to sleep, wondering what horrors the morning would bring them. And at Caiaphas' house, the high priest, there is an ad hoc gathering of the Sanhedrin council going on. A man named Jesus of Nazareth, one that claimed to be the Christ, has been arrested just outside of the city walls in this little fragrant garden known as Gethsemane and He is now being brought to Caiaphas' house because they were intent on killing him. And so they're gathering those that are in agreement for an ad hoc trial by night. Meanwhile, the Bible says in John 18 and verse 15, Simon Peter was following Jesus as was another disciple. Now that disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest, And so he went with Jesus into the high priest courtyard, but Peter remained standing outside by the door. So the other disciple, the one known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the girl who was the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave girl, who was the doorkeeper, said to Peter, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? I am not, he said. 
Now the slaves and the temple police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. Drop down to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. And they said to him, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. And one of the high priest's slaves, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said, Didn't I see you with him in the garden? And Peter then denied it again. In some of the other Gospels, it says, Peter began cursing, saying, I do not know this man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Peter was an incredible person. I mean, I said a couple weeks ago, outside of Jesus, Peter is my favorite character in the entire Bible. He had a magnetic personality. People wanted to be around Peter. I would imagine he always had an entourage around him. He was always in the action. He was always talking. Even whenever he should be quiet, Peter was still talking. He was just always in the action, had this larger-than-life personality. He was fun-loving. Think about somebody in your life who just loves to have fun, someone who's always making you laugh, somebody that you just really enjoy being around. That was the Apostle Peter. I can't but help but think that as Jesus and the disciples walked the various hills and valleys of Palestine, that Peter would say something or do something that made them laugh often. He was also a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. Peter had given up a lot to follow Jesus. He owned a successful business. He was a, the manager of a fishing fleet. And so he left his fishing business behind in order to follow Jesus. He also left behind his family, his hometown. He had given a lot to follow Jesus. And through the course of the years, he and Christ had become quite close. In fact, whenever you, you see a list of the disciples, Peter's name is almost always at the beginning because he had become a leader within the group of the disciples. There were several times that Jesus called three, Peter, James, and John, to come with him at times when he didn't invite the other disciples. Peter was there when Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead. Peter was there on the Mount of Transfiguration when the glory of Jesus shined through him. Peter was there that night when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he poured out his soul before his heavenly Father. Peter was invited. He was there up close and personal to the ministry of Jesus. Peter was also a complicated man. In many ways, he was a messed up man. He suffered from pride. He took the ride of pride. He said things to Jesus that night like, I will never forsake you. I will lay down my life for you. I will fight for you. He had a bad case of I-itis. Many of his sentences began with the focus being on himself. Peter also suffered from idolatry. Now, not idolatry in the sense of he built a statue and worshiped that, but idolatry in this sense. Peter had an image of what God is supposed to be and what the Messiah Jesus was supposed to be like. And he had that image in his mind, and sometimes his image of what God should be and who Jesus is, they contradicted. And Peter often worshipped the image in his mind instead of accepting the reality of Jesus right before him. 
And so we have this story here that is often called the betrayal of Jesus, the betrayal of Peter there in the courtyard. Truth be told, Peter's betrayal began much earlier in the story. In the upper room, Peter was bragging, Lord, why can't I follow you now? He says to Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus replies to him, will you lay down your life for me? I assure you this, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is overwhelmed with the magnitude of the the journey in front of him, realizing that the cross was set before him, Jesus goes to this Garden of Gethsemane and he asks Peter, James, and John to come close and to sit there while he prays. And he says to Peter, just watch and pray. And so Jesus goes further into the olive branch, beneath the olive branches, and he bows before his Lord, and he pours out his heart to his heavenly Father. Abba, all things are possible with you. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. And Jesus pours out his soul to his heavenly Father, and then he returns, and instead of finding Peter watching and praying, he finds Peter asleep. And he says to him, Could you not have just stayed awake for one hour? I find myself often saying that on Sunday morning to people too. Could you not have just stayed awake for one hour? And Peter, I I love the the way the Gospels describe it. They look at Jesus and they basically, it says they did not know what to say. They're like, sorry. And so Jesus returns and he prays and then he comes back and again he finds Peter sleeping and the scene unfolds again and again Peter is sleeping instead of being there at Jesus' hour of need. Instead of caring, Peter slept. When Judas and the soldiers arrive there at Gethsemane to arrest Jesus, Peter jumps into action. Never mind that Jesus had said, Over and over again, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. I'm going to lay down my life for you. I am going to be the suffering Messiah of Isaiah 53, not the revolutionary Messiah who establishes a kingdom here now. Peter jumps into action, takes his short short sword, and, and cuts off the ear of one of the temple police. I think he was just a bad aim. I think he was trying to kill the guy, and he just missed. And Jesus rebukes him. Peter, this is not my mission. This is not the beginning of the war. Put your sword away. Heals the man's ear. And he tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. This is not God's will for my life. You see, Peter's denial of Jesus didn't begin in the courtyard. Peter had denied Jesus as the dying Messiah by his earthly assumptions. Peter had denied Jesus as the substitutionary Savior in his boastful arrogance. Peter had denied Jesus as his faithful friend when he was sleeping in apathy. Peter had denied Jesus as the obedient son by his violent actions. Peter had denied Jesus as the sovereign Lord by his denial of association. It's easy for us today to read this story and kind of fold our arms and raise our pharisaical nose and say, how could he? How could he do this? I mean, he was there, front row seat, heard the Sermon on the Mount, saw Jesus walk on the water. How could he deny Jesus? 
How could he do this to him? I would never do this. I can't believe Peter did this. Well, the reality is, is that Peter is the story of us all. There's not a person in this room who hasn't messed up. There's not a person in this room who hasn't been messed up in the journey. The Bible says we all sin. It says we all fall short of the glory of God. Everybody in here has messed up. And everybody in this room has been messed up along the way by people that did wrong to you. We all deny Jesus sometimes through our earthly images of what we think God should be. God, that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to do what I want you to do. We all take the ride of pride sometimes. We play the God role in our life instead of submitting to Him. There's times where we all find ourselves sleeping in apathy when we should be caring. There's times where we all find ourselves acting for God, pulling out our swords, ready to go to war, when instead we should be trusting God to be God. There's not a person in this room who hasn't messed up. There's not a person in this room who hasn't been messed up somewhere along the way. This great journey that we call life, every single one of us have messed up and been messed up. There's two betrayals in the passion story, Peter and Judas. Both men dripped with pride. Both men dripped with apathy, with sin. Both men denied Christ in his hour of need. Both men refused to accept that God's plan for Jesus was the cross. Both men had walked with Jesus at great personal sacrifice. Both men had been eyewitnesses of the ministry of Jesus. Both men were leaders. Peter, a leader among the apostles. Everybody looked to Peter for leadership. Judas was the finance leader. He was the one who held the money bag and distributed the the, the means to the poor. Both men, after denying Jesus, felt remorse and shame and grief. Both men realized the magnitude of what they had done. Both stories relate to all of us because all of us have sinned. But the final chapters of these two men's life could not be more different. Judas's story ends with his death. Filled with evil, he kills himself. Peter's story, though, ends with grace. He finds forgiveness. His life has meaning. It's amazing to me that Peter is the one denying Jesus in the courtyard. And just a couple of months later, God would use Peter on the day of Pentecost to preach the sermon where 3,000 people come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. The same man that was denying Jesus just two months earlier. How could he do this? God could never use him again. That same man God is using to do something that only God can do. The greatness of Peter's story is the grace of God. The forgiveness that he experiences. You see, through the rain and the darkness of Calvary's day, there are two silhouettes that you can see. 
In your mind's eye, you can see one silhouette there in the darkness as the rain falls. It's the man of a man. It's that of a man on the cross. It's our Savior Jesus dying on the cross on Calvary's hill, and you can imagine in your mind's eye. Him calling out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you can hear him calling, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. It is finished and you can see him dying on the cross. And over in a lonely courtyard, there's another silhouette. It's the silhouette of a man bowed over in prayer. A man named Peter. Crying and asking God for forgiveness. A man broken before his God needing a fresh start, needing God to do something in his heart that only God can do. You see the Apostle Peter realizing what he had done, realizing what a mess of things he had made, realizing that he had totally blown it. He broke. The Holy Spirit broke down his heart and he bowed before his father and he asked for forgiveness. And the Lord began to drain that pride and that disobedience and that idolatry. The Lord began to drain that in his soul and to fill his soul with love and meaning and forgiveness. Peter found a fresh start that day. Mark 16, verses 6 and 7 are two of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Uh, The resurrection has taken place. And so the Marys are coming to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. But when they get to the tomb, they they don't find the body of Jesus. Instead, they find an angel. And the angel meets them and says, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. And then he has some good news for us. So you kind of need to get your celebration on a little bit here, okay? Don't just let me hydroplane over these words. The angel says, he has been resurrected. He is not here. And the congregation said, amen. There we go. Let's let's back up and try it again. All right. The angel said, he has been resurrected. He is not here. And the congregation said, Amen. amen. Then the angel says, see the place where they put him. Now, don't miss verse seven. Right? You, you see, he's gone, he's resurrected, he's not there anymore. But go and tell his disciples and Peter. I love those two words. Go and tell the disciples. And make sure you tell Peter. And Peter. Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him just as he told you. Now imagine the Apostle Peter's inner struggle. I've messed up so badly. I bragged in the upper room about how I would lay down my life for Jesus, and then whenever I found myself in the middle of danger, I deny even knowing Him. I've made such a mess of things. God could never forgive me. God could never use me. I've outrun the grace of God. And the angel responds, hey, go and tell the disciples and make sure you tell Peter because Peter belonged to God. I think the subtle message in the the angel's language is, hey, Apostle Peter, Peter, you're mine. You've messed up. You've sinned. But you're mine. 
One of the great things about God is that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When instead of uh, living our lives in pride, we bow before Him and we ask for His forgiveness, He will scrub the filth of your heart clean. He can make all things new. Hey, listen, this is a sermon for everyone who's ever messed up or been messed up. Peter's story is for you. You ever messed up? You ever had somebody mess up, mess you up? Peter's story is for you. I sometimes hear people say, Hey, you know, I have no regrets in life. Sure you do. You're lying. Everybody has regrets in life. We all do things that we wish that we could have a do-over on. We all sin. We've all had people do things to us that shouldn't be done. People have hurt you. You have cuts. And sometimes along the way, people embrace a lie. The lie that they embrace is that God could never use me. He could never forgive me. Amazing Grace is a cool song, but it's not my song. I'm stained. God's forgotten about me. And people buy into that lie. Maybe you ran into a preacher who loves law more than grace. And he taught you that lie. Maybe you ran into a theologian who teaches you that God saves you in grace, but then after that, grace turns into works. And in order to really have God's love going forward, you have to be good. Maybe you have a friend who doesn't understand that you can change. Maybe you have a parent who only loved you whenever you were lovely and he or she extended love to you whenever you were doing good and being obedient, but then whenever you quit doing the right thing, quit doing what daddy or mommy wanted to do, they took their love back and they taught you this conditional form of love and you think that's how God loves you as well. Maybe you've bought into a lie that the world's been telling you since the day that you were born that, you, you, that God could never love you. You're no good. You're just a messed up person. God can't do anything with your life. And somewhere in the course of life, you've embraced this lie that God could never love me. God could never use me. I love Romans 8 and verse 35. Now listen to this church. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? How about some candidates? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than victorious <laughs> through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that not even death or life or angels or rulers, things present, things to come, hostile powers, height, or depth, 
or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from God's love because His love for us is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when you believed in Christ, the Spirit baptizes you, immerses you into Christ. God sees you in Christ. Your sins past, present, and future are paid for in Christ. You are righteous in Christ. And because of that, nothing can separate you from your heavenly Father's love. You learn that. You embrace that. You open your arms to that reality. It'll change your life. It can change everything about you. When you realize that God's love for me is through Christ and I am dearly loved and nothing's going to separate me from that love. I can't outrun the grace of God. He's bigger than me. He loves me. In the Passion of the Christ that came out a few years ago, there's this scene. It's an intense scene when the soldiers are beating Jesus with rods. And there's this moment where the beating, the beating slows and Jesus slumps to his knees and, and then the beating stops. And in the audience, you're kind of wondering what's next. And, and you see Jesus get back up on his feet and this hush kind of comes over the praetorium area as the soldiers realize that he has just stood up to their beating. And so at that point, the soldiers begin beating him mercilessly. Eventually, they wind up dragging him out of the area and they kind of prop him up and they put the thorns upon him and the robe around him and they mock him and then they put him back on his feet and they take him before Pontius Pilate where he is condemned to the cross. Then they put the cross on his back and they tell him, you're going to walk up the hill to the place called Golgotha, the place of the skull, and there we're going to crucify you. And so they start parading him through the streets of Jerusalem, and along the way, he falls beneath the weight of the cross. In the movie, there's this moment where his mom comes to him, and he looks at her, and through all the blood and all the anguish, she says to her, Mom, I told you I'm going to make all things new. He continues to be unable to carry the cross, and so they get Simon of Serene to take it and to carry it for Jesus, and Jesus once again gets back up on his feet, and he walks up the hill where he is thrown down to the ground violently and crucified there on the cross, and then they lift up the cross so that all can see, and there in a grotesque, grotesque hideous display of barbarianism, Jesus dies, lifted up so that all might see that he is dead. In the movie, they take him down from the cross and they lay him down in the tomb and the screen goes dark. And you think the movie's over. Jesus is dead. It's over. He's off his feet. But that's not the end of the story. You see, the story of the Son of God is that on the third day, He got back up. He, he, he rose again. You say, Lash, I, I, I'm, I'm messed up. I've done things that are wrong. Well, well, the Bible says, who can separate you from the love of Christ? 
You say, I've been messed up. I've walked through anguish, through persecution. I've been without. I've found myself in danger. Life for me has been a battle. Well, the Bible says in all these things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. Yes, you've messed up, but he's been raised up. And because he got up, so can you. Because he got up. The grace of God extends to you. You don't have to live your life in that messed up pit. You can get up. Look up. Get up. Don't give up. Follow him. Because he's been raised up. You don't have to live your life messed up. For I'm persuaded of this. I believe this down to the depths of my soul. That not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth or any other created thing has the power to separate us from the love of my God. That is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please? Head bowed, your eyes closed. The band's going to come. They're going to lead us in a time of worship. And today, very well, may need to be a courtyard moment in your life. It, it may be that today needs to be that moment when things change. Perhaps today needs to be your day of salvation. It's, it's the day that you bow your knee before Christ for the first time and embrace Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. If today needs to be your day of salvation, I'm going to invite you during this next hymn to come and see me. I'll be here on the front row. Just come and see me and tell me, I need, I need Christ, Pastor. And I'll pray with you. And today you can leave here knowing Christ as your Lord and Savior. For others, whenever you walked in the door behind your smile, you carried with you a bunch of guilt. You carry with you the stains of the past. Perhaps things that you have done, perhaps things that others have done to you. And for whatever reason, you came here today, and if we were to be really honest with one another, you would say, Lash, I don't believe that God can really use me. I've never really embraced grace in my own life. I've done things that are wrong, and I know that He can forgive people, and I know that He does forgive people, but could He ever forgive me? I want you to know that His grace reaches you today. You can start again. The same grace that saves you matures you. And sometimes we have to stop rebelling against God and stop playing the role of God in our lives and instead just turn to Him and reach up in faith. Say, God, I need you. I need a new beginning, a fresh start. Lord, clean the sludge of sin that is on the walls of my heart. 
Make me wholly new. God, use my one and only life for your glory. Lord, help me to make much of you. Lord, we pray that your name and your fame might be ever increasing. Lord, help us not to think that it is through our own righteousness that we find grace. Help us, Lord, to realize that none of us are worthy of grace. That's what grace is all about. Help us, Lord, to see ourselves in Christ. To realize that we are dearly loved for all eternity. And that in Christ, nothing separates us from your love. I pray, Father, for new beginnings. Healed hearts. I pray, Lord, that you might use the people in this congregation this morning in ways that they can never imagine for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. It's in Jesus' name that we sing these songs, we give these offerings. You are our Lord, our Savior, and we thank you so much for your abundant love. Amen.